This episode is brought to you in part by Akunu. Akunu for Sales is the first buyer-aware platform for account-based selling on Salesforce. Akunu integrates your sales process with buyer behavior to verify buyer-seller alignment and increase confidence in the status of your deals. It eliminates time-consuming data entry for sales reps and makes your sales pipeline and deal review meetings data-driven and much more efficient, giving your sales reps and their managers the time and insights needed to win more deals. So do you know how your deal review process stacks up against other B2B sales organizations? Visit akunu.com forward slash accelerate to access Akunu's benchmark report revealing the deal review habits of B2B sales managers and tips for managing deal reviews. See how you stack up and create your action plan for a better deal management. Get your report at akunu.com forward slash accelerate. That's A-K-O-O-N-U dot com forward slash accelerate. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading, human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights, like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves, you need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision-maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends. This is Andy. Welcome to episode 603-603 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Join me today on Accelerate is my guest, Gabe Larson. Gabe is the VP at Inside Sales Labs, a part of InsideSales.com. And in today's conversation, we're going to talk about the sales cadence. Gabe's group has conducted research, produced a report about the state of the cadence, if you will. And they collect a lot of really interesting data that Gabe and I are going to talk about. I mean, one for me is sort of a salient point that, that I'm not sure that they meant to be a conclusion drawn from the report, but is I think the data calls in the question the whole idea of whether a cadence really exists yet in sales, at least as we're practicing it. And while I think it's a very useful and promising concept, I think the reality reality on the sales floor hasn't really caught up with it yet. So from my perspective, you know, the value of this report that we talk about today is is that it shows that in terms of our sales processes, educating our salespeople and and our sales managers is that, wow, we've got a lot of room for improvement out there. But anyway, it's a fascinating conversation we're having, so make sure you stick around for that. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 603. Now, before I talk with Gabe, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing. The feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So see the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. And today's episode is also brought to you in part by friends at Akunu. Akunu for Sales uses a visual framework to help sales reps sell in complex accounts and help sales managers coach and manage their reps and enable sales organizations to improve their sales performance by surfacing the information that drives better sales execution and keeps sales reps and sales managers focused on following your sales process and engaging at the right buyers at the right time. All right, 
let's jump into it now with Gabe Larson. Gabe, welcome to Accelerate. Oh, man. Well, I am excited, Andy. I mean, this is a long time coming. Big fan of your show. Excited to talk to the audience about all things sales. All right. Well, we're definitely going to do that. So <laughs> so the, the, the first thing is like a standard question I ask all my guests to start the show, and that is, in your mind, what, in your opinion, what, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Yeah, you know, it's always more leads and better leads. Um, you know, there, I mean, there's millions of challenges, but I still believe, Andy, if you can get prospects who are likely to buy from you, good, good quality leads, and you can get enough of them, sometimes even bad sales reps can do pretty well with that. And so, um, got to find more and better leads. It, it's all about the leads. So it's all about marketing. You know, and, and the partnership with it. Um, you know, I, I do think the sales and marketing, you know, constant debate about the division there is, you know, I'm a kind of guy who generates a lot of my own stuff, to be honest. I, I One of the reasons I got into kind of the world of podcasting and writing was to, to, in a lot of ways, be the CEO of my own territory and take back control of who I deal with and who I don't deal with. Well, we're okay. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about all that as we get into the show because because I mean with your work at InsideSales.com or the Inside Sales is Inside Sales Labs. Yeah, correct. So I, I run what we call our labs division, which is our, our innovation um, research and kind of best practice division here at InsideSales.com. Okay, and so you guys are producing a ton of research. You know, you're, I'm sure analyzing usage on your system as well as you know independently researching people and and their best practices, you said. So we're going to talk today, you had produced, produced excuse me, a research report recently about the sales cadence. And so if, yes. if people aren't familiar with that term, let's explain for that. Explain well, for them know, what that is. Yeah, well, too, well um, just to kind of add on to that, you know, our labs group, we have an, a fun advantage of, um, you know, each month we'll do a research report either on behavioral type sales concepts, meaning, you know, what is the right time to make a phone call or the best time to make an email? And we'll, we'll look at observed data, what actually is happening. And then on the flip side, we'll do survey data, right, where we'll just ask business leaders their top challenges, et cetera. So one of the recent reports we put out um, is this sales cadence concept. It's an interesting buzzword, but truthfully to your point, Andy, one of the things that really came out of it was what the, what the hell is a sales cadence? When we started asking people, a lot of people saying, well, they, they had all these different definitions. So we're on about our 43rd iteration right now, but a sales cadence to us is a sequence of activities to increase contact and qualification. And now I say it's the 43rd version because those, those, all of those words mean something very specific. You know, sequence is a little more data driven. When we talk about activities, there's in a cadence, there's six types of activities, phone, email, voicemail, social, um, high impact mailers, text messages, all of those can be brought into a cadence. Now, a lot of people think it's just about getting in contact with somebody, but great cadences don't just get in contact, but they allow you to educate and potentially even qualify your buyers if you do it the right way. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. That's a great definition of it. What was sort of interesting about the data though, and I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I mean the, the big, and we'll dive into this, but the sort of the big conclusion I drew from the report was that, yeah, it's a great definition. No one's doing it. 
Like, do you, can I, can I say something funny on top of that real fast? <laughs> sure. sure. So one of the funny things is, again, in this report, we, we did a little bit of qualitative and a little bit of quantitative. What I mean by that is we actually went out and we, we audited. So we went to all the fortune 500 websites and we submitted these entities. We created entities, companies with real websites, um, real email addresses, real entities. And then we tracked as an external party, how those entities, you know, how, how these companies followed up with it. Then in addition, we asked sales reps how they believe that they handle some of these inquiries. So the funny thing was when we asked sales reps, just as an example, you know, how many times do you think you, you know, touch an inbound lead. Um, the interesting thing is we got a response of about 12 to 15. Now that depends if you kind of include social or mm -hmm. not include social. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is when we looked at what the actual data was, it was 4.05. Now, Andy, <laughs> that's like a 300% difference oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in what people think they're doing versus what we're actually doing. Now, there's certainly some latitude. There's some things you got to take into consideration. But at the highest level, I think sometimes we think we're a little better than we are. You know, I think I go to the oh. gym six <laughs> times a week, and unfortunately, yeah. I, I don't. But <laughs> well, no, I think I think this is, and you and I touched a little bit on this before we started recording. Is is that? Yeah, I think this is sort of the big problem we have with so much of what's done in terms of research in sales today is that the bulk of it are salespeople or sales managers or sales leaders self-reporting. And what I found valuable about what you're doing here is, is that you're actually measuring. And when we actually measure, then it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, hmm. We got a difference. We've got a difference here. And that and but you see it throughout, right? I mean, we look at CSO insights reports, for instance, you know, and they survey, and it's a great survey, I and mean, lots of interesting data in there, but it is self-reported. That's right. And so yet it's taken as gospel. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's taken as gospel by maybe CEB, same thing. I mean CEB, yeah, you're 70% down the buying journey, you know, 65% right. down that's, the buying that's, journey. That's self-reported. <laughs> so, yeah. so, but the fact is, you know, that's an article of faith for some large fraction of people in sales. And, you know, regardless of the fact that it's not necessarily, it's different by segment, right? It could be true for some segments. I think it definitely is, but isn't for others and so on. So, but anyway, without getting sidetracked on that, I liked what I saw in the report just because I said it was based on things that are actual happening. So you guys well, and, and I got to I got to just put one kind of stamp on that, Andy, because this has become, I think, a problem in sales, and, and it's not a problem because I am a believer in survey data. I think it's fascinating. To your point, probably need to look at it not with a grain of salt, but make sure you know you look at the overall, and then if you can dive into how does your industry look at it, or how do other companies who are a little more like you, so that you can try to get a little more applicability, but. You know, this is a problem. I had someone the other day around social selling. You know, you know, a lot of anecdotal information. Uh, 
as a rep, I believe if I social sell, I, I do better mm. than if I don't social sell. And and this is one area where it's like, I, you know, I put out a real battle cry and I got some tomato. Literally, I got some death threats almost when I, I wrote an article called The Death of Social Selling. And I called this all out and said, we got to get away from this kind of survey opinion data on social. We got to get to some facts. I want to see LinkedIn and some of these other companies give me the data um, or I want to see something meaty. Like I just ran a study, Andy. We looked at 10 million sales opportunities and, and that's and that's million, mm. right? We looked at 10 million sales opportunities and we looked at what happens at the end of the month and end of the quarter. You know, sometimes sales reps, they do sure. a little wonky stuff. But sometimes. <laughs> we didn't ask them what they did. We looked at what actually happens to 10 million sales opportunities and we found some fascinating stuff that people are doing and money they're potentially leaving on the table. But I challenged the industry on social I want something like that. I want to look at 10 million LinkedIn messages and I want to compare them to 10 million emails and I want to see what's happening. No more of this kind of survey stuff. So finding a balance is something I'm trying to push and I, I hope we all can get a little closer to using both. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, I think there's room for both. But I, the anecdotal, yeah, it drives me nuts. And <laughs> it's, but I mean, that's sort of human nature. It's sort of what we do. We have our built-in biases. You know, we want to we want to believe certain things are true because of what we stand for, or whatever. Yeah, but but we need to shine the light better than we have. So let, let's dive into the cadence thing. There's a lot of interesting things to unpack here that I think people find really fascinating. So you define five key components of a cadence, which is number of attempts, total number of touches, touches, the media in terms of the what are you using, email, voicemail, so on, the duration, the length of time from start to finish, spacing, gap between attempts, and content as your messaging utilized. So if we look at attempts, let's just start that. You do start talking about four. Is the average number of attempts per lead to contact was four. It's, we'll say four, right? No, it's 4.05, yeah. but four. Right, right. Um, which I find sort of interesting because there's also research out there somewhere that's saying that it takes, what, 19 attempts to get hold of a B2B prospect. <laughs> yeah, so, but, again, but again, that 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 information, I mean, um, yeah. we're going to keep bringing that back because, you know, um, I've got – I've I've got a study right now. I'm looking at nearly a billion phone calls. Everybody's saying, you know, phone, you know, the phone is dead. And I can say, you know, again, average contact rate, conversations over two minutes, is in that about five to twelve percent mark. Meaning one out of every, you know, five out of every hundred calls, ten out of every hundred phone calls, we're having a two minute conversation. So I don't know about that. I'd be hesitant about the twenty touches. But again. You got to take it for what it's worth. Oh yeah, I was just saying that's that's again. You know, the, <laughs> I can sit in presentation. I guarantee you, I can go to a sales conference. I'll hear that statistic a dozen times. They love it though. You're right. right? Everybody loves it. So because it's, I think it's used because these reps know, okay, that they're only making four phone calls before they give up, all right, or four attempts whether they're mixing that's phone right. calls and emails. They know mm -hmm. they're only that's doing right. four, so they're saying. Oh, boy, this job's so hard because it takes nineteen, and I only have time to do four. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's not that. I can't add anything to that. You're exactly right. <laughs> and so the other thing you found that I thought was really interesting is that 40% of your cadence audits, audits basically had no follow-up at all. So what we're saying is that 40% of, of leads are independent of how they're developed. I assume most of these you're talking about were inbound leads. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So 40% of, of the leads, no follow-up at all. And yeah. virtually another fifth, and then almost twenty percent more 
one attempt, which is basically the same as no attempts. <laughs> yeah, you know, th- th- there's a couple things with this, and, and again, I think it, it is data, and there's some there's some good and bad about this data that we could certainly go into, but. One of the things we're certainly finding, um, and this is actually a lot more predominant in the U.S. than it is in Europe, and that is kind of, number one, a love of email. So in the U.S., sales reps are, um, we, we, we know from data now that, that U.S. reps are sending just in general more more emails than, than Europe. So th- there does seem to be a little bit of a love of email. So when we looked at these cadences, you'll see more of a dominant kind of email approach. But number two is, We've kind of moved a little bit, you know, when it when it was the HubSpot kind of inbound model and there was a high velocity approach and inbound leads were, it was kind of the gravy train that everybody went to. There's been more of a movement, I think. And again, this is kind of my, my interpretation, if you will, but um, a little more of a movement to this outbound or this account-based model, if you will, or being more strategic and going after bigger fish. And in some ways, I think we've neglected, and, and again, the data shows it, that we're not we're not treating maybe these inbound leads as as we potentially should. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, I probably you know in a agreement with you, and I would say Ken Crow because I have talks with Ken about this. Uh, yeah, they all need to be followed up. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if they come in. It's 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 like they deserve a phone call or at least or an email, right? Yeah. I mean, it's there. So there's a study, and the reason yeah you know, I bring this up, and people say, "Oh no, yeah, I can tell just by looking at them; these are crap," and so on. Is uh, there was a study that was done recently on emails, and what the the person had written about it, and the sort of the author of the study was saying is that you know there's tremendous value even from unopened emails that they can trace, and they're doing this more with consumer stuff, but they could trace uh, bumps in e-commerce traffic based on just virtue of sending emails, not that they were necessarily mm-hmm. opened, right? That, yeah. the, that the commerce rate exceeded the open rate. And so what they're saying is, yeah, hey, there's value even in open, unopened email. Mm. So Interesting. You sort of have to think about that. When we're sending something into, into people's inboxes, is they may see it even if they don't read it. Yeah, it's kind of a it's it's a mini touch. You know, and, and you, you touched on this just a little bit, and I want to mention it because a lot of people, when they see this data, their first response is, oh, well, if a lot of these were quote unquote, you know, fake or, um, you know, profiles that were designated and we kind of went to these companies and submitted them online, I, I assume that everybody just knew that they were fake. And, and this would be a little longer conversation, but as we looked at the data, it was real interesting to see so that could well be true. Certain organizations, they looked at it and thought it was fake, but I'm telling you, then certain organizations looked at it and actually called it and, and made it more intense <laughs> with their follow-up. And so yeah. it comes into that question of, you know, the, the, part of the problem is these reps trying to kind of sniff it out. One rep thinks it's really good. And I got one lead that has I some leads. I have like 20 phone calls on over, you know, a 40 day period. And then another person didn't even contact it. And so when people say, oh, I bet everyone just sniffed it out, it's like, well, certainly not everyone did. And and then that comes to this idea of I lick my finger and I try to figure out the prioritization strategy. I don't know. I think reps sometimes get into a little bit of a conundrum because maybe they don't know what is best and what's not best. Well, and then I think it's it's sort of all mixed in, especially in, in inside sales organizations. It's it's all mixed in with you know the pressure to be able to do the number of dials you're supposed to do every day and then you know, right. the fresh contacts and and – um, to me, I think one of the 
potential lessons that I was I was taking away from this was that yeah this this burning desire to hit your your activity metrics is having an impact on <laughs> on just selling right just actually yeah. getting hold of the leads is developing and nurturing the leads because it's all about that first new email and first new call yeah yeah and I do think sometimes this this debate of you know, some leaders say, I don't care what you do as long as you hit your numbers. A lot of companies maybe go too far and say, you got to have a certain number of activities. And and the, the interesting thing about both of those are their, their internal facing. Oftentimes, I'll tell leaders, maybe go external facing. You know, what would your customer want? And in this case, this specific use case, we just need to make sure that when they say they want to be contacted, we, we, we do actually contact them. But let's start with the customer first. Well, that's... Yeah, that's that's a huge, that's a huge huge topic we could spend an hour on just just itself in terms of yeah a lot of the behavior I think that we see driven um, is increasingly as a result of the technologies people are using. I mean, yeah. Technology enables certain behaviors and in, in sales and enables expectations of certain volumes of activity taking place, and I think what's happened is is. I mean, I'm I'm taking one of the takeaways I'm taking from the study is given how how little follow up is actually done in a comparative sense, and I don't think it's because salespeople are lazy. <laughs> I th- I think to your point you're making is they're feeling conflicted, and you know they're trying to do the best they can, but you know they're feeling pressure from both sides, yeah. and as a consequence, I think you know this nurturing and development of leads that have come in is is really suffering. Well, and, 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 you know, there's so many different kind of stories, right? I was at an organization and they get 35,000 inbound leads a month. They have about 20 reps and um, there's just no possible way to get all those, right? And so you've you got to find a quality and quantity, you, you know, you got to find a way to decipher which, which ones are better and then make sure others kind of go down maybe more of a nurturing path. Some people don't, you know, they don't, they get one or two leads a year um, and, and they treat them like gold. And so, Certainly, each well, company need, needs to figure that out, kind of where they are. Well, and they need to go to marketing and say, "What the heck are you doing?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. Just aim, ridiculous. Well, what are you spending? Our, what are you spending our money on? Well, we well and, and there's still that debate, right? I mean, what what is marketing's primary role? Do we play more of a PR, or do we play more of a lead gen? And the answer is usually both. There's you know certainly somewhere in the middle, but. I'm I'm more biased. I'm if marketing's not producing leads, I I often don't see the value. So, right. Well, <laughs> let's not go down that road. But I mean, I think that <laughs> that that yeah, you, know, you can't have marketing running victory laps saying yeah, thirty five thousand leads when yeah they can't be followed up. Yeah. So even yeah. even marketing can be doing a much better job saying okay, well how could we how could we really fine tune this so we're generating. 5,000 really good leads a month. I mean, obviously, I have a recipe for finding, generating leads, right? Okay, so we won't come back and hammer marketing on this. Um, All right, so email, in terms of the media used, the most common media used in follow-up was a single email. So I thought that was interesting. If I say half of all your audits were attempted, never received a phone call, just an email. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that plays, I, I believe, having done some kind of interviews, et cetera, um, if you look at that 4.05 kind of on the attempts, right, the majority of those are um, 
our, our emails, um, even if you do kind of bring in phone calls. And then as we look at kind of follow-up strategies, again, email still kind of dominates. And, and again, it's an easier method. It's an easier mode. And so I can kind of auto program and I can act more like a marketer. And in some ways that's good. In some ways that does a lot of damage. Yeah. Well, I mean, your job in that role is to talk to someone. It's not to have an email conversation with them. It's to talk to them. I mean, I imagine most SDRs don't get credit for a sales conversation that's conducted via email. Yeah. Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, more and more, you know, a back, back and forth email exchange is often considered a, a conversation, if you will. And because people are using it so much, they got to find a way to see if they can actually track it better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're kidding themselves. So that's the case. Um, and that, that contributes, I think, to a whole other issue, which maybe we'll hopefully we'll get time to, which is just we sort of go through this this report and then we sort of you know, compare it to sort of what I consider the really unacceptably low close rates that, that we have in, in many of our sort of leading edge, quote unquote, leading edge sales organizations. Mm. It also stems from this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot to that. And I think that is something that's plaguing, plaguing our generation a little bit as we get into more and more passive communication types. Again, you always want to find the balance, but got to be careful. Careful where you find that balance. Yeah, I think that that people have sort of lost the recipe and the fact, the the plot thread, if you will, that emails are to set up a voice conversation because that's how you build a connection with somebody. I mean, somebody can't. It's really hard to build trust purely through email communication. Yeah, yeah, you got to bridge that to a more kind of more aggressive, and whether that's in person or phone, etc. Yeah. And so, as I said, having lost the plot thread, it's, yeah, the email is always to set up a conversation between two people. Mm, yeah. All right. So, your duration across all cadence, I thought that was also interesting, was less than five days. So, basically, we're going to go out, we're going to touch you once, maybe twice, and if we don't engage in less than five days, yeah, so long. See ya. Yeah, right. And and again, that, that that's the average. Obviously, some went a little longer, some went a little shorter. But um, and, and it is interesting because, you know, when it comes to particularly inbound leads, there is something about this concept of, you know, I call it the law of immediacy. You, you do you do have better options, better opportunities to have conversations when top of mind awareness is present. And so, you know, fairly quickly when that lead comes in the first day the second day every day that passes you know you you certainly kind of lose that top of mind awareness but five days you know it's 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 still pretty short i I would say when i develop and have seen more cadences be effective i'd probably extend it you know a little bit longer than that certainly the problem is when you combine duration and attempts that's where it gets messy you'd like to have kind of um more attempts and a little longer duration to kind of tighten that down as far as an optimal cadence goes. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the, the tool vendors that sell applications and label, enable you to set up cadences and automate those, you know, give their examples. And as in one presentation, you know, they talk about a, a seven by seven cadence, right? Seven touches in seven days. Um, mm. Which, yeah, actually is not a bad idea, but clearly... You know, not being implemented <laughs> any, to any great extent, uh, you know, based on your audits. So, I mean, it's and one thing that wasn't really, you know, concluded in in the report is is you know, is there sort of an optimal recommendation that comes yeah. from this? Because because that's you know, again, I think this is where 
Because I always have this disconnect between the promise of the technologies that will help us become more productive and how we're actually using them. Right. And and this part of the reason I'm so fascinated by this report is just like, okay, here's here's the yawning gap, right? I mean, I go to conferences, I cruise through websites, and and you know, try to stay abreast of the technology as as much as anyone, and I you know talk to hundreds of founders and CEOs of sales tech companies on the show. And yeah, the promise is great, but we're not using them, the technology. And I sort of wonder, you know, in your opinion, why, why do you think that is? Why, why are we not taking advantage of these capabilities? Is it just they really don't align with reality? Or is it what we're doing is we're just too stuck in the past and we're not taking advantage of these innovations to, to become more, you know, more productive in these regards? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I obviously work for a tech company, so I probably need to be a little careful in, in what I say. But I, I think the truth of with some of the innovations is a lot of leaders, they've got so much going on, so much to do that oftentimes systems or innovations, if you will, are looked at as kind of a stopgap, almost like a ah, the system will just save me. Um, I'll, I'll just give it to my reps and it, it will fix itself. I often use the analogy, if, if I give a weight scale to someone, yeah, it'll, it'll help them lose weight. Yeah, that, that, that's what it'll do. Um, a weight scale doesn't help anybody lose weight. Um, it, it plays a role in it, but really the program around the weight scale, the whole exercise regime in conjunction with a tool to kind of measure progress, that's where the power comes in. And so, I think a lot of times we give a tool and we say, oh, my goodness, now our cadence is going to be fantastic, as an example. Um, but, I mean, a rep can still do whatever they want. They, they may not know why they need to do it more, so they may still just say, you know what, I've tried to this guy two or three times. And then they, they exit him out of the cadence. So unless you kind of match this concept of people, systems, and processes, and I don't mean to be a little too cliche, but – uh, you, you've got to have an optimal pro- process. These reps need to know the why, obviously, of why, why they're doing it. Then when you put in an, a, an acceleration tool, you'll actually see it accelerate the process. Acceleration tools will decelerate bad processes, and they'll accelerate good processes. And so unless you got more coaching and optimal processes, these systems – they're just not saviors. They're, they're just not going to save, make make you money because it just doesn't work like that. Well, and I wonder if if part of that is the fact that that there's sort of these de facto models that exist in terms of activity levels that that you see and I see, you know, new companies sort of fall into. Right, this is the model we need to follow. And so thus we're going to do this and that's where we're going to get our reps and they're going to make so many dials and so many contacts a day, da 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 And we've become hooked on that. And because it's generating a certain level of uh, performance. Yeah. But yeah, my well, observations are we're struggling to exceed this certain level of performance and even sustain it. In fact, I, you know, I'm seeing some... Again, anecdotal data saying that actually, you know, we're becoming less productive again, and and close rates are falling, and we're burning through swaths of potential prospects because you know we're basically carpet bombing them with with uh, you know with content, and it's like, hmm, yeah, it's so. How do we fix that, right? I mean, how do we how do we save ourselves from and be able to use these tools the way they were intended to be used? And I think that's part of the reason why we don't is we're just sort of hooked on. Somebody says, yeah, I can do this cadence, but suddenly it's, oh, well, I can't do my 50 dials a day if I'm doing this cadence, even with yeah. the automation. So which, yeah. which goes? 
Yeah, well, I, get I mean, measure, I get measure on the dial, so the follow up goes. Yeah, 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 and and you know, um, I I think there's you, there is just kind of balance in all things, right? This is the problem I think organize they keep swinging the pendulum. So it's also it's not great when leaders just say it's it's all about results because um, oftentimes you know you get mediocre results. You could get a lot better results. It's also probably not good to go 100 percent on the activities and and double down on, on the activities. So, um, I, I feel like if you, if you can find that balance and, and then remember this concept, I love the line, you know, personalization trumps automation. So we got to remember we're human, you know, you'll see a lot of conversations going on around like chat bots. And I, I, I am in the camp that, um, you know, calling these chat bots by a name, you know, Lucy and, and acting like they're human when, when they're just not, it's kind of like, uh, it's the same concept with the email. You know, we're obviously all these sales reps have these marketing email tools and I just send 15 emails that I just load them in and shoot them off. And um, I'm acting like I'm, you know, quote unquote human when it's just a machine. And don't get me wrong, there's always a balance of personalization and automation, but you got to remember it will always trump it. Personalization will always trump automation. So Find the balance in all things. Remember, personalization trumps automation, and you're going to be walking a line. I mean, this is kind of life. You know, I, I wish we could. I wish I wish it was simpler. I wish it was easy. But sometimes you'll probably go a little too far in one direction, and you may focus too much on activities. Um, you may focus too much on the bottom of the pipe, or you may start throwing spam emails out, and you're just kind of getting people in different cadences. But you, you bring yourself back and try to get a little more personalization and you keep pulling those different levers of personalization and automation until you, until you find the right place. So, all right, I'm going to take that a step further because there's something that trumps personalization. That's hum, humanization trumps mm. personalization. Mm. We can't confuse personalizing emails with humanizing emails, right? I mean, just because we do a mail merge and throw somebody's first name on there, <laughs> quote personalize it doesn't mean we're humanizing it and it's the humanization that connects with people not the personalization interesting, interesting. so you know we're missing a layer which is part of the problem and again because people are too busy given the expectations to humanize and so you know in any large population right you could do something wrong quote unquote wrong and still get 20 percent of the people to do it Right, I mean that's sort of where we're doing, where we are with SaaS, right? I don't think you can argue that hey, it's sufficient. Sure, it's sufficient, but can anybody say, look, sort of this average twenty percent close rate of qualified prospects we're seeing in a lot of SaaS companies that are held up as sort of the standard? Is that good? Well, yeah. no. Objective measure, that's not good. So, but what we're doing is we're gearing the whole process to keeping the twenty percent. As I was saying, what we should do is change our process to make that twenty five percent, even if we do less of the activities up front so it's it's you know it's we've got this conundrum that i think we're really struggling with and this humanization is one of the one of the conundrums because we become incredibly more effective if we learn how to humanize our communications well and, and i think there are technologies it's, it's interesting to see this space of sales technology um and how it develops you know you'll this is kind of the world I play and you get this kind of hot jumpstart company and two years later they're doing a fire sale, but for two years they were kind of the darling of the industry. And, you know, I had a VC the other day tell me that, you know, 10 million is the new 1 million unless you're hitting 10 million and ARR, you're, you know, you're, you don't get the money you did like back in the day. But, um, 
I mean, there's so many great technologies out there, but some of them are trying to get into that, you know, quote unquote, humanization, personalization. And sometimes that's difficult. And so I I like this idea of having technology again, not trying to, I I know it's a little, I've always loved the Iron Man concept, you know, Ken Krogh introduced that maybe five, six years ago. And, um, uh, you know, found, co-founder of InsightSales.com. And, um, you know, that's the concept, right? L- let's empower the individual rather than eliminate him, or let's not just let the machine run while the, the, the individual goes to lunch. The Iron Man suit made a regular person, well, a billionaire is maybe not a regular person, but you, you get the idea. You know, you made him a super salesperson. And so I'd love to see more of that going on where I'm fed the information about humanization kind of using your terms or I'm fed the ideas to what's going on with my cadence and, and I can still react to it. But I feel to your point right now, we're giving a lot to CRM. You know, we're feeding a lot of data. It's not giving anything back. It's just a big kind of system of record. Right. And, and then we've got a couple of these really fun little quote unquote sales acceleration tools that, you know, they're just marketing tools and I can just run them like they're a machine. And it's not really the Iron Man vision that, that we have, but and I think we're we're working towards it, but it's it's painful and it's baby steps. Well, it is, and unfortunately, I think that sort of you look back, sort of the history of sales and sort of what we've gone through, even on the last ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years, even, um, is that sometimes I think it's you know we're more likely to have an actual human becoming a real Iron Man before we fundamentally change the way sales are done. <laughs> right. Um, Agreed. I, yeah, it wouldn't be great if yeah. I love Ken's Iron Man metaphor, but we come up with one that's based on reality instead of fiction. Then <laughs> it might 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 uh, then it might be more achievable. Might right? be more that... achievable, right? So, <laughs> so anyway, that's there we go. Um, all right. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time. We could go on forever. Uh, Gabe, it's been great to have you on the show, and great to talk to you as always. So, tell people how they can contact you and learn more about what you're doing. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm certainly on all your major major channels. Uh, catch me on LinkedIn. I'll be offended if you if if you don't. If you want to learn a little more about Cadence, we have a real fun tool just to kind of grade your own Cadence against others. You can go to cadenceassessment.accelerateinsidesales.com and you punch in your Cadence numbers and we'll we'll score it based on kind of industry benchmarks. But um, check out some of our research and again catch me on LinkedIn at Gabe Larson. Yeah, I, I, you guys are doing, I said, a, a ton of good research. It's, you know, more than anything, it's just uh, hopefully for people, it's thought provoking. And that's really how you should take it. That is, that's uh, a great point. Don't, don't take it as, oh, wow, let's go copy all what these people are doing, or hey, we're great because this. No, no, let's, you know, <laughs> figure out what you need to be doing. And unfortunately, I think it's one of the problems we have with, with certain aspects of our certain segments of sales organizations these days. It's, it's you know, Hey, let's follow this model. We're being encouraged to follow this model to a T, and we need some innovation in there because we're getting we're getting stagnant. Even though well, and you, supposedly you, you, leading edge selling, we're getting stagnant. Right, and 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 one of the reasons we we call this kind of group labs. A lot of people will say, you know, why, why do you call it labs? You guys wear white coats and you got rab, you know, rabbits or rats in there. Um, the idea was to actually promote more of an experimentation and testing culture. So, um, one of the things we do is we'll release again once a month just an experiment that we've done. So, um, we just sent out you know sixty handwritten note cards and we sent out sixty emails, the exact same 
copy the exact same picture and we wanted to test. And that's often the word, you know, test what actually worked and, and what didn't work. And so um, if anything, you know, you pull from inside sales labs is take what we have and go test it. It's always the, exactly. the four letter word test it in your space and you'll figure it out. And salespeople aren't like marketing. We've still not gotten that. And so that's the, that, that is our mantra is that testing is actually the answer. We're not the answer, but testing is. Yeah. And I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's it's so true. I mean, look at any of this data, and we didn't really touch on this, and we'll extend for just a couple minutes to dive into it. Is that trouble with all the data is is that you are not normalizing it for you know the products being sold. Yeah, you do some breakdown by industry, but you know what's 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 the average sales price, right, of the product? Yeah. What's the lifetime contract value? Who's who's doing the selling? Is it a small company selling to a small company? Small company selling to a big company? All these. I mean, I could list thirty variables. All these different attributes. Yeah, that, and and truthfully, that impact this. And ha- having looked at that, you know, that deal side. One of the things that really. Um, you know, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but man, w- w- one of the breakdowns we look at industry is always great. But man, if, if you sell jumbo jets versus widgets, as you can imagine, whoa, it's so much different. You're, you're, you're all the numbers change, all the data changes. So it's, it's a, it's a great point. Yeah. And, it, but the thing that's sort of interesting, I think on top of that, and this is, again, we'll have you back. We'll talk about this is, is yeah, I'm, one of the things I'm fixated on is this concept of productivity in sales, and I think we don't understand productivity in sales at all. Mm. And and so I think, and I've done just sort of, you know, based on my own experience and working with clients and customers and so on, is that actually, you know, the number of touches and sales hours actually don't swing as widely based on the price of what you're selling as much as people think. Mm. And and it's sort of interesting because people haven't really started really focused on this concept. Well, how much am I investing in this one opportunity, right? And we talk about cost of acquisition, but it's it's not again, even those are are pretty raw numbers. Is yeah, I you know, I ask CEOs, okay, well, great, tell me. So how many how many hours, sales hours are you investing to take your average prospect from point of interest to mm-hmm. close? Yeah. No one knows. Well, how can we not know that? Because then, the, really, the job of the reps ultimately is not to sell X amount. It should be generate so much per hour of selling time. Yeah, an ROI with the cost of the goods. The, so the it's, sales rep. Well, that's what productivity is. Productivity is not making ten calls because there's no outcome, right? You just made ten calls. So what have you produced? So it's you know, we don't we don't tie activities to actual production, and the production is obviously you know dollar of revenue. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and the numbers in, in most organizations, even as you say that, I don't think, I don't think anybody can pull it. I, I mean, even if you said, if somebody said that's a great idea, Andy, I don't know if they could pull it out of their their CRM. I don't think they could get it. No, it takes it takes another system or two involved to do that. <laughs> Though there are some companies that are are starting to throw some of that in there a yeah. little bit. So, but it's it needs to go further, and that's I think you alluded to this earlier, and we'll sort of wrap up with this is that that. You said you're sort of skepticism about marketing. You know, what are they really good for? Is, you know, I'm paraphrasing just so you don't get in trouble. You're marketing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, call, <laughs> slow down, Andy. Slow, slow down. down. <laughs> well, you said they're mostly for lead gen, right? So, but is, yeah, we need to start having this conversation about how do we restructure this whole thing? Because, you know, somebody told me once that, and I think this is really true, is the way you should really 
look at this from a transformation standpoint is it's two functions. You know, there's an acquisition and retention function that are sort of sales and marketing related. And then there's sort of branding. You can say, well, that's just sort of a corporate awareness building, right? But everything else should fall into one of those two camps. And so if we're saying, look, if we're going to structure our organization just by acquisition and retention, well, what's in acquisition? And suddenly these silos start going away. Because, you know, you're not going to have one marketing, because there needs to be marketing and retention as well. But it's, you know, it's really as mission as retention. And so, you know, that's how I'd restructure things. And I think that's the conversation that also people need to start thinking about is get rid of sales, get rid of marketing. We have acquisition retention. I love it. And, and you know, we've moved to a model. It would actually be real interesting to um, kind of take it through, get your opinion. But we call it the growth team. And it's kind of changed the, the you know, we, we did some interviews with some large companies. And one of the things that really came out, and, and again, it was just, interview interview data but you know they said over specialization in some cases it caused um had been a real detriment to growth and so we restructured um our mid-market mm-hmm. team around what we call a growth team and so you have marketing and sales and client success um um and, and sales development all roll up to kind of one leader um yeah. rather than kind of functional leaders and it's been a uh, a real change. It's 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 really made things different as people sit right next to each other and they all roll up to the same manager. So there is something to that. There's something about kind of looking at things different and seeing how it works. Sure. Well, I ran those teams 25 years ago. <laughs> exactly like that. I mean, they were hallmarks of IBM and and all the large you know B two B sales teams back in the 60s and 70s, even before I got started. Um, you know, it goes around, comes around, right? That's that's right. I'm I'm wearing I'm wearing jeans right now that don't fit. My wife bought them. They they call them skinny jeans. So yeah, what, well, what goes should. around comes around. <laughs> they, they should fit. Get the ones get the ones with the flex fabric. They'll fit you. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, all right, Gabe. Great talking to you, friends. Make sure you check out Gabe and what they're doing at Inside Sales Labs. And thank you for spending this time with us. Make sure you come back, join us again for our next great episode of Accelerate. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 